Welcome, I'm Laura, and I find good advice and make it more personal, more intuitive, and more you. This is Secrets Your Mentor Never Told You. That's why I do this so people know about my sister yeah. and also about learning about forgiveness because that's we all want to we all want to live through life happy and when we can live through life if you if you feel angry so you have to come from a place of strength and to forgive and we all live better Asiza is an artist here in Vancouver British Columbia she brings her story of a shocking betrayal where it led her to find forgiveness and love I will let her tell her story about reconnecting with her twin sister, Gina, after 35 years being apart. Here's her story now. Duh. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Let me centralize myself. You know, artists, they have to mm. be just in the focus, in the center here. So I'll let me make my coffee here. So, okay. <laughs> so you let me know when you're ready and we'll go from there. Well, yeah, we're, um, we're already, re you were talking about how she's uh, more feminine. I don't, you tell me more. Yes. Like, that. I mean, femininity comes in so many ways, right? It's not yeah. exact, but when I just, just the way she talks and the way her body language, in some ways she's more confident than me. Like, even though it's almost like, like, I think women in Europe, or at least with my sister from that experience with her, I find she's more comfortable with her body. She's yeah. not like, <laughs> yeah, I remember when I went surprised her for a visit, like she didn't know I was coming. And interesting because I had the short sort of skirt and I, I had showing more leg. And then when I walked to the room and she was shocked, she didn't know what to think. She thought I was like a mirage. And she couldn't comprehend that I was physically there. Oh. And then after we embraced and we cried and she had to go change. And here she is parading herself in her bra and her, uh, I don't know if she was an underwear or sh shorts, more like a long pant. Yes, white. And she parading in front of everybody. Me, I would be, that would be my nightmare to walk around like that. But that's what I'm saying is, but at the same time, when I want to give her, uh, when she came up to for a visit two years ago, 2019, and I want to give her this denim skirt, she uh, she said, "No, I can't wear that." You know, back home, all of the it's not it's not accepted in our culture of women at that at our age to to wear such short skirts. So it's interesting how, how in some ways, uh, she if she was to live here. She would have been a different person right like maybe she's much more open comfortable with her body me i would never do that i would never walk around in my underwear or my bra in front of my family i think it's a society pressure because i find too when i'm here I, in some ways i become more conservative on certain things like let's say before i went to romania no way i would wear a two-piece bathing suit but when i went to europe with my family to Croatia, I saw women, different shapes and sizes, wearing the two-piece bathing suit. And I thought, wow, that's, that's awesome. Because, you know, it's so wonderful to be comfortable, to love who you are and not care what other people think. And it's an accepted, it's accepted there. Here you get, it's more, I think it's so, we're so judged on how we look here, you know, and it, we lose a lot when we judge ourselves and others. You know, by the way we look, you We're know, in, so. We are in a bubble. I, I think you're pointing to something from when I traveled. And this is why it's so encouraging for others to, uh, when they see outside their own country, to go, oh, people don't all think the same. Like my country, mm -hmm. we think this one way, that there's a certain age for a two-piece bathing suit. Mm -hmm. And yet all of Europe, mm -hmm. when you're at the beach, and you know what? South America is fully exposed in two pieces or next to nothing so we're <laughs> right so we are the, we're yeah. an anomaly in the world and how we perceive our bodies so that this is yeah. interesting so you and i were talking how this that what do you think this episode your story is 
about, like the nuggets? I think it's about finding out a secret that was kept for me. And then when I, and I think it's also about forgiveness, you know, like I felt I lived with guilt for many years, hurt. I would say betrayed, you know, because it, the truth was hidden from me for so long. And, and I look back and it was uh, not what I thought it was, but then and understanding how it all happened and why it happened. And you cannot, cannot be angry. I, I feel, I, I completely understand because sometimes we can't judge people. You don't know their situation, what they were in, what they had to do to become who they are. So when you come from a place of uh, understanding, it's so easy to forgive. Yeah. I was having my walk this morning and I was thinking about the, our meeting and uh, talking about forgiveness today and how you found your way back to your forgiveness, how forgiveness looks for me in my life with my parents. And it, I'm always brought back to they did the best that they could with the thinking that they had at the time. And they believed whatever they were thinking was necessary to survive. And that's the story what, what I get from your mom. I, I feel the forgiveness from you and this new sense of love is like a, a love relationship that's developing with you and your sister today. Yes, like uh, my sister and I were very close. I would say she's my soul because we talk about everything and and uh, we trust, we, 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 it's so nice to have somebody where you can trust and know that if you have something to share, nobody else is gonna know. I actually, I had that kind of relationship with my mom, but she passed away in 2001. And it was, and I think it's more comforting to know that if you have something on your on your mind and it's bothering you, you can, you can talk to somebody you can tr truly trust. And I feel like my sister, even though I, she was kept away from me for so long as, she was hidden from me for many years. I didn't know about her existence. And I understand now, see, because my mom wanted to have me to have that relationship, that close bond with her mm. and no one else. And that might sound so selfish, but there's a reason for that. So, and I totally understand. Yes. And that's, that's the story, part of the story. And I wanted to ask you about what your life is like today. Like, do you consider yourself a fine artist? Is that how you describe the work that you do as a painter? Uh, well, maybe I should start from the very beginning. So at the age of four, I was adopted. And my, my parents brought me to Bucharest, capital city of Romania. And that's where I grew up. After a year later, I found out uh, my sister, my identical twin sister came from a week to visit me. And we had such a wonderful time. We had, we, we were jumping on the bed. We just had the best time to be reunited. But after a week, she left again. And uh, so shortly after I started to draw, but uh, I started drawing figures of females and I completely blocked my sister out. I think the, the pain of being separated from my twin, it was a way and start to draw the figures. It was my way to keep the connection with my, my twin sister. And throughout my life, I, I've always drawn figures of females, but I never understood. I completely blocked, blocked yeah. her out. Yeah, that's an, important and, uh, that's an important piece. You had no idea at the time that the, the young girl you were no. with was your, your twin sister. Well, no, at the time she, she was my, I knew, but the thing is after she, she left, I, the separation made me block ah. her out. So, and that's how I start to draw the figures because I didn't, uh, that was my way to keep her alive in my, my heart and my subconsciously alive in my, through my drawings. And then when I moved to Bucharest, my parents, were wonderful parents. They exposed me to the arts at an early age. 
uh, at first it was my mom put me in opera choir. <laughs> it was an amazing experience being the opera children's choir that was and seeing it was so magical city opera singers getting ready and practicing singing and it was so magical I loved it and then my mom tried to put me in ballet and I didn't like that <laughs> and then finally she put me in art school and over there it's different like you have to get tested to see if you have enough talent to get in it, don't just go in and just, okay, I want to take some drawing classes. So I got tested and, and I got into the fine art school at an early age. And that's what I was sort of more focusing on. And, and my mom and my, and my dad helped me develop my skill as an, as an artist, which I'm so grateful. And then my dad defected uh, Romania, was communist. It was such a, I would say, it was, it was, he didn't want to live in a country where it limited his abilities to have better life. So he, he, he didn't even tell my mom. He decided to go on a trip to Italy, which was unfound to give visa to go to Italy at the time. Because my father, he was an economist uh, living in a, in a, working in a bank. Right. And, uh, and my mom worked as, a, she was an artist herself. So she worked from home as uh, doing more like uh, craft things that would sell, you know, to a special store. Excuse the noise. We're in Yelltown. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so after my dad defected, he went to Italy and then he went to Canada. And now after a year, we went to Canada where my father was waiting for us in, in Calgary, Alberta. So even throughout the years, I, I've always focused on the art. She even put me through private lessons in Calgary to painting lessons. And then I went to University of Calgary at night to do some more painting classes. And so she was always very involved in my life as to become an artist. She really supported that. So yes, at, at a very early age, uh, I, I, I went to... Alberta College of Art, now it's Alberta University, where I got a degree in uh, visual communications and uh, graphic design. And then in my fourth year, I got a job offer to come to Vancouver, and that's how I came to Vancouver. But all those times, I've always draw figures of, and I was kind of known in my class to draw beautiful women, but I never understood why. And it totally makes sense after I found out at 35, I have an identical twin living in <laughs> Romania. Can you imagine how shocking that would be? Your mom really nurtured your artistic creative side. And then it brought you to Vancouver where you, what kind of work did you do after that, after graduating? Well, I, um, I worked in the, my first job was at retail store, but at the time called Woodward's. And I was uh, hired as a, a junior graphic designer. And then after that, I went and worked as an art director at the Palmer Jarvis. Now it's probably DDB. And then later on, I started my own company with my husband, Dan, uh, while branding. And we still have that company. And so after I decided to have children, I went and I had, we had a couple of kids went to, uh, back to work part-time and I realized, oh my God, things have changed so much technology-wise. I thought, because I was so used to uh, do everything was hands-on. I loved the process where I would take big marker pads and conceptualize my ideas. And, and I loved that process. But then now it was all computerized. It was all websites and I was so used to doing catalogs and brochures and logos. It was very, very diverse type of work. But now there's not much print work going on anymore. It's all web, web driven. And I didn't like the process, it was just too technical for me. I, I, uh, I decided to pursue fine art full time, but at the same time, I didn't, I didn't come out. Like I, I would come paint in my own space. I didn't post anything because I was kind of painting a secret, you know, and I didn't want nobody to know. And I was actually, I was, I was uh, even paranoid at times. Like for instance, let's say I remember when Facebook came out, I would not want to be connect with people, especially people that were in the Romanian community, because at the time I would be friend. I was friends with my sister on on Facebook, and I mean, you can't. We're identical. Yeah. So if if they saw my sister or pictures of my sister or 
they, they will realize like, who is that? Like, is that you? Like, and I just, I had, I had respect for my parents that I didn't want to share that secret with anybody. So I would actually, I would actually block people on purpose. And it, it, let's say, let's say you came to me one day, goes, oh yeah, I know a Romanian person. I will say, okay, that was it. So I kind of got tired living like that. Yes. Oh, that makes I sense. Just, would, oh yeah. No, I, I, Aziza, I'm sorry I interrupted, but no there problem. was something so beautiful in that moment. Like it's a struggle and I see the pressure that it's compounding on you. So you went, you didn't like the technical, you went back to your fine arts because it was so in like that you know it's that creative genius that's in you that's wanting to come out and then all of a sudden there's the pressure of keeping a secret and protecting your mom and mm -hmm. and your sister and all of that yeah and i was living with this fear and guilt and here i you know and after I, like i have to keep my sister's secret for many years and uh, I actually came out after my, my dad passed away in 2013. And that's when I came out, but I was painting with uh, all those years. You know, I didn't want to tell anybody. And, and then when I decided, because I said, you know what, I can't live like this with this guilt and fear. I said, I'm, I'm going to come out. I'm going to tell the story through my art. I, I, and especially my sister, because she suffered all those years. You know, she always known about my existence. I didn't know about hers, but for, and she felt so insignificant because she was, you know, hidden from me. And, you know, I thought this is my voice. I want to tell the people about my sister because she means the world to me and I, how much I love her. And, and I, nothing makes up for that, but still I want people to know that she's, she is so much adored by me. And plus, at the same time, I also want to tell the story of forgiveness about, you know, my mom, I love her unconditionally. I love my dad unconditionally. But I often think, what would life would have been like if I wasn't adopted? I don't know. That's a mystery. But I know the, the fact is that I, I do have a history of, I was very much loved. And I'll share the story how, why my mom did what she did. Because I think many people can probably relate to parents, you know, where they were. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they felt hurt by their parents. But I think when people understand why parents were the way they were, it would be a lot easier not to have this anger towards I, them. I agree. Because I agree. And I think that I want you to share about and I have only a glimmer of the idea of what life would have been like in Romania for your parents. Communism in Romania was very controlled. So maybe you could, could you tell me a bit about what it would have been like for them or what it was like for you? Well, I can help. I, I mean, I didn't live there long enough, but I experienced a little bit of communism, what's like to live in a communist country. But I could take you back to how I can have a better idea with my mom's story and my father's story. Like my mom, my mom and I were born actually in the same house, the same village in 30 years prior to me. So by birth, she's my aunt. Her youngest brother is actually my biological father. So she was in a born in a family of five children. So yes. We were born in a village, in a very small village, village called Tepcec, in the Moldova area of Romania. So my mom, at a very young age, she was very intelligent, very ambitious. And she, she, she knew that at a very early age, the only way to get out of that village is to become a passionate reader. Because reading, it helps with your vocabulary. It, it helps with the way of thinking. So she read every book she could get her hands on. And she decided to leave Tetzesh. She went to a bigger city where she went to live with an older sister. And, uh, and there she, I don't know how she did it, but she managed to get herself to Bucharest, which is not like here. You can just pack your stuff and move to another city. Over, at the time, you have to get permission from the government. 
to be able to move to a different city. So she managed to get to Bucharest and uh, she didn't have her high school finished. So during the day she would work as a cashier and at night she would finish her high school education. And one day this gentleman, a very handsome gentleman, intelligent dude, my father (laughs) caught his his eye and he fell in love with my mom instantly. And she was so well-spoken and she's so, and she was so elegant and, you know, was part of the like highest rank educated people like doctors, engineers, but because she was able to speak that well. And she, she really made an impression on my dad. And she was very beautiful. Like actually, I, I actually call her the Brigitte Bardot of Bucharest. She will never leave the house if she didn't have her makeup and hair done, just to even get a loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> so she was always, always well dressed and even made her own clothes, you know, because as a young girl, she couldn't afford clothes. So she would design her own clothes. And I think she worked at a fashion house too. And that's how she learned how to sew well. She was a very glamorous woman and extremely ambitious. And I think at the time in the communist country, it was very lack of things. Yeah, so like in Romania, like my dad would get up extra early in the morning before we go to work to go in line to get dairy products like yogurt milk if you go like four o'clock in the morning to line up because everybody would be lining up because that's when it was available and even myself I would line up for bread potatoes uh, and I was only like eight years old and uh, one time I remember it was this experience I was coming from school and I saw a lineup and I said what's the lineup of because there was always a lack of things and so of course I get myself in line and but I realized I don't have no money. I was like eight, or eight years old. And so I told the lady, hey, can you please hold my spot? Because so I can call my mom to, to so she could bring me some the money to buy potatoes. And I, I went and called my mom. And when I went back in line, this woman behind, get back in line. And I was like eight years old. But see, when yeah. people lack necessities, doesn't bring out the best in them. It's always a struggle. That's why for many years you see that generation of people not smiling because they lived through the times that they didn't have the basic needs to have a, a comfortable life. So, uh, when you came to Canada, did you see lots of people smiling? Yes. And I was like, I remember when I came to Canada, I was like 11 years old. And I, I was walking down the street and this lady said, good morning. And I was like shocked because I was just not used to uh, somebody saying good morning to me because that's not how we, it, that's not the way of life, uh, the kind of life I was, I grew up in. Right. Or I remember when I walked the Safeway, my jaw dropped when I saw how beautiful the food was displayed and it was so, and I, oh, the abundance of food. And I remember wanting to try everything because, <laughs> and I, and suddenly the weight creeped on because I got fat <laughs> because I wanted to try everything. So when did you feel like you were, I don't know, Canadian or is that the right word? When did you feel like you didn't lack of anything? Um, I would say yeah, maybe after like, I mean, even at 11, I couldn't speak English at the time. It was really difficult transition. Uh, from coming to from another country because I thought when I came to Canada I thought oh it's, it's going to be this really you know easy going but it wasn't easy going my heart my parents had a hard time adjusting to the new life in Canada and uh, especially at their age they had to learn a, a new language you know for, and for me speak English communicating with other kids in school I had to go to English school in the mornings and go uh, in the afternoon to public school. So I kind of sort of got used to maybe like a 12. Sorry, my dog here. Nice. Uh, <laughs> she's you're, you're, with me. It's good. Uh, What's her name? Her name is Piper. <laughs> and, uh, but now she's not, I used to call her Piper Hyper, but not anymore because she's 14 years old. So <laughs> you might hear her cough here and there. <laughs> but... Um, so you'd say so language, yeah, which, language is the biggest barrier to immigrating to Canada. 
Yes, it was challenging because, you know, plus coming from another country and didn't speak the language, you know, um, I, I didn't fit in. So I, it was really hard, especially, especially at that age and be able to, didn't, not be able to fit in. And especially I remember my dad, my dad like would not let me wear jeans and runners like most kids would wear at school. She goes, no, no, that's for hippies. You know, you know, jeans and runners, only hippies wear that. And I'm, like, and I begged, and I remember I had this ugly polyester plaid brown pant, and it was just, they were horrible, and I was, no wonder the kids were making fun of me. <laughs> but even, <laughs> but the funniest part, funniest part late in my life, what did my dad wear? Jeans and runners. Oh, that's, that's, how, that's how he wore all his years after that, so it was pretty funny. But uh, even like, even coming to, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. She's got heart. If I lock her out, she'll start whining. So I can't. Honestly, I can't either way. This is a, it's it's good. Like because this is part of life, right? It's we true. Know. Exactly. She's it's just I'm being authentic here. Yeah. It's okay, sweetie. It's totally authentic. It is 100 percent authentic. Yeah. But I have an interesting story. Like going back to communism, I remember when we found out that we were, uh, were able to come to Canada, my mom and I were thrilled because see that time, communist party would not, even if families, let's say parent, uh, a father would leave the country, that doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna reunite the family, let the family leave to go join their, their father or their, their parent. Uh, there were stories where they they didn't give the uh, other family visa to go, and so we had this fear. My mom was so scared to be a single mom and living in Bucharest. She didn't know she was. We, so her and I were sleeping together. So every night we would hold each other in each other's arms, and there was a way our way of supporting each other through this separation from our dad. Well, he from my left, dad. He left without telling her. Yes, my mom, that's because, blow. And beca- because, because back then, that's how it is. Like, you don't tell anyone. You don't tell anybody because sometimes, let's say, the communist party could, could inf- infiltrate people and they might think that's your friend, but they're actually working because how the government, you get perks, you know, hey, if you can, if you, you can, uh, uh, be able to shop at a specialty store that not everybody had access to, right? So you had these special perks if you were to give them information. So knowingly that you you want to make sure you not even with your uh, with your wife because sometimes they bug the place like even the telephones they the telephones are bugged they, they actually they listen on the telephones you don't you, like if you're calling a friend you're talking about how what how the weather is not like hey this is the issues in my household or uh so it was very they everybody was really paranoid about how much they can talk so even oh. after we were separated from my dad my mom and I had to pack our stuff. Like, so she start, started selling house things from the house. A lot of the clothes and things that we even send it to my family, like my sister and her brother and other relatives from the, where we were born, like just things from the house. And she didn't even tell them that we were leaving the country. She kept that a secret. And see in Romania back then, you only allowed to use, have one telephone. You can't have more than one phone. So she, and she had to take the telephone to the, to the, uh, to the telephone company, but that was the security, basically. That's the securitate is where they keep tabs on people. Mm -hmm. So my mom handed in her phone, but she still had some stuff to sell. And she had an old antique phone that my grandma gave her. So she plugged it in. And she's still selling stuff in the house and the security people caught on to that. So they called her to their, to their office. She brought me along. And I remember they placed me in one room and with lots of glass and she was in a different room. All of a sudden I see her, she's getting agitated, her whole body's like, and she's starting to cry. And 
And when she came out, I mean, so she pretends she fainted because they were threatening her. If they don't tell her where she got the phone, you're not going to get the visa to leave the country. So they were threatening. And when she started doing like, like it looked like she was going to faint, they panicked. And that's when they said, okay, Mrs. Dimitri and everything is going to be, we're going to give you the visa. And then later my mom told me it was an act. My mom was also into theater arts. She really was great on stage and she knew how to get herself out of a situation. She was a survivor. That's what she was. And she, she had is- to do what she did. Absolutely. So she was selling stuff secretly and then she had returned the phone. (laughs) So they were kind of watching Mm -hmm. her, I imagine, after she returned Mm -hmm. the phone Mm -hmm. and said, what's going on here? And then... Yeah, because there were still calls going through and when they knew that she had a second phone, that's Ah. why. You're not allowed to have more than one phone. Only one phone you're allowed. So that's why they were threatening because they wondered where she got the second phone. That's how strict it is there. They don't have... Here you can have 20 phones if you want. There you only want, everything is in control, everything is, but uh, you know, at the same time, I have some beautiful memories too, like go, growing up as a child there. I mean, I remember going to the movie theater. My mom would give me a dollar and I would go to, go to the movie theater and uh, early matinee and, and with other children. Like now with these days, I got, that was no way that would ever happen to send my kids to the movie theater. <laughs> So another way, it's kind of weird that I had a lot of freedom at the same time. I would take the bus on my own, like around seven, eight years of age. Yeah, but your mom knew mm-hmm. you. She knew who you were. Yes. And I, I want to take you to, um, yeah, this is interesting. When did you, did you ever go back to Romania after living in Canada? Yes. Yeah, so the first time I remember, I was about 17 and a half. My mom arranged a trip for us. And I thought it was like a mother and daughter trip to Romania. And I thought, great, get to see Romania, relatives, you know. And I love being with my mom, you know. Her and I were so close and so looking forward to this vacation. So when I, I arrived at uh, Bucharest, then we went to first of the village where I was born. But at the time, I didn't know this. So I didn't know the people there I thought they're just relatives, but I didn't know who they really were. So my mom took me to this village, actually the same house we were both born. And we were greeted by my uncle. He was a very handsome, tall man and, and, the, and his wife. And I remember she was like, we're sitting in a yard in a chair. And she, I think she was like, maybe it's like five, five feet away from me and, and we're both sitting in a chair and she was just staring at me from head to toe and, and I felt uncomfortable like oh my god you know like it's like it's not like I'm a celebrity or anything I, but I thought oh coming to Canada from Canada right and you were so 17 I was 17 and a half at the time but later I found out actually those two people were my biological parents and I, at the time, I didn't know. I thought they were just an uncle in it. But they were so happy to see me. And uh, I, I was only there for like a day. And all of a sudden, out of, I was so shocked that suddenly I had to leave. I think I, I arrived there maybe like around 11. And by 8, I had to leave. And I never understood why I had to leave. My, my cousin was a police officer, took me by car. And I never like to drive during the night. It's just scary. And I, my mom never joined me. So I don't know why she stood, she's, she never joined me to go with my cousin to, to this other city. So then I found out later, this is later, I, I found out why. And I'm, not ta- I'm talking like in the last 10 years, I found out this. So what happened after I left, my biological parents, one of them told my sister, to come because I was there. So my sister was living in a different city, Brashov. She was going to technical school to learn to work in a factory with machinery. And uh, yeah, different career choice than me. And then uh, when she found out I was there, she was so happy because she always wanted to to reconnect with me because she always knew about me. They always kept pictures of me on the wall. Like they always had pictures of my sister always knew about my existence and my three other brothers too, that I never knew I had. And so what happened, so she went 
to the dean of the school and asked permission if she could leave and explain the situation. So she caught the bus and she traveled all night to come to the village where, where I was. And then when she arrived and she found out that I left, she cried. She was devastated. And, and my uh, biological parents tried to convince my mom to tell me about my sister, but she goes, no, she's not ready. I'll tell her when she's ready, but right now she's just not ready, you know. And interesting, when my, when my mom, when my sister arrived, she was in shock because she thought that was me. Because, see, my mom always kept the connection with my sister. Her name is Gina. <laughs> Forgot to mention that. And uh, she always kept the connect, connection with my uh, sister Gina. And what she always do, she'll always send pictures of me. And she'll always send my clothes even. So that's why Gina must have been wearing some of my clothes at the time when she came back. So for a brief moment, she thought that was me. So she was scared, but she didn't realize that was my sister because the way she spoke, because we spoke, speak differently. We had, you know, a Romanian accent, a much more a mixed accent. Um, yeah. so, uh, so they said that they spent that evening having dinner together and the next day, my mom left early in the morning, like four o'clock in the morning. She took the early bus. And my biological mom and my sister did find out till later when this gentleman told her passing by, hey, I saw your sister-in-law at the bus stop this morning. And my biological mom and my sister were so shocked, angry. How can you leave without saying goodbye? And then uh, my sister started crying and my, and our mom said, uh, Gina, get on the bus. I think she might've gone to this, uh, one of the aunt's place. So my sister got up, hopped on the bus, traveled another two hours by bus to, to get to the, our aunt's place where she, she vacationed every summer. So she took the bus and she arrived at the house and it had, it was a tall gate and she rang at the gate and all of a sudden my, our aunt comes out. She was shocked. She didn't expect Gina at the gate. Wow. And all of a sudden she shuts the gate door in her face. And my sister was so offended because how can you, I'm your relative, I'm your, I'm, I'm your niece. Like she should be welcoming it. She goes, I felt like a complete stranger. She said, like she was so hurt. And, but after a few minutes, my mom came out, my mom who adopted me. And uh, she came out in a floral blue household, my sister said. I'm saying, repeating what my sister told me. Mm. And she came out and she started walking with Gina, uh, escorting her to the bus stop. She says, I'm sorry, Gina, but Aziza's not here. She went to the Black Sea to vacation with some friends. Uh, and my sister was so devastated and uh, put my sister on the bus and sent her my sister back. And when my sister told me this, I was, I cried a lot because I was always there. I never left. I, I remember even that moment when that happened, I was painting my nails inside the house. Wow. So for me, that's, I felt so betrayed, you know, because how can you keep the secret from me? And I, I, then I, after I find out why I was in that trip in the first place, is for me to meet a fiance that I never knew I would. I, I was gonna have a fiance. I find this so bizarre. Your mom takes you on a holiday, yes. and not only do you not get to see your sister, but and then she brings you close by, where she knows yes. there's a possibility, and then. She's going to marry you off and you're 17 and a half. That's right. Yes, my mom. When did you know she why? Yeah, well, when did she Well, see, the thing her? is, if I found out about my sister there, that would interfere with her plans, right? <laughs> right. So that's yeah. why. Like, I, like, why would I want to go to book for us? You know, hey, I have my twin here, right? So <laughs> no way. That wasn't part of the plan. So okay. she worked the plan with a cousin of hers to for me to meet this guy because... Back home, I had a boyfriend, my first love, 
I was, I was so in love with this guy and he was in love with me. And he, and I, my mom, I guess, maybe sensed that it's getting very close. And she wanted a Romanian guy this time in her household, right? Somebody yeah. who can speak the language, keep the culture inside. Like, I think a lot of people from different cultures can relate to this. I agree. Uh, and I think that more so also because that will also keep me close to her, Right. If I was to marry someone another from another country or a different English speaking person, she would feel like, oh, maybe the culturally will not be as close. So, so yes, I met this fella, very handsome, very intelligent man, um, you know, perfect in my mom's eyes. <laughs> they were, I remember spending time with them and they were, I didn't even talk much with him. They were having all the conversations you know, I remember sitting back and I go, and I go, wow, you two should be getting married. That's what I thought, you know. So, so my mom said to me, and it kind of scarred me actually for a long time. She goes, if you don't marry a Romanian, I'm leaving you here. And I was like, so scared, like the thought of, because I was Canadian. I would might have my friends, my my home back in Canada. The thought of going to a country. You know, where, I mean, I can grow up in and different lifestyle. It's scary. And uh, so when I met this, I sure, okay, I like you, <laughs> you know. And then he proposed to me and I accepted his uh, proposal. And, and back there, like a proposal and engagement is the equivalent of a marriage. Especially if you're a, a, a local uh, Romanian person gets involved with a, a foreigner. That's right. it. You're done. You can't. You can't go to work. You can't. You can't practice because they're looking at you as uh, somebody who can uh, uh, a threat. You know, information. You know, it's just wow. You know, so, so basically, happened? so what happened? Um, you know, when you're in a situation where you learn to accept and then and like, yeah, and I come to Canada, back to Canada because I was only there on vacation for like a month. Wow. So I met this guy maybe like a week or two. I don't remember. And I remember even like the engagement party at my one my uncle's place and his apartment. And you know, at the time I was so naive, you know, like I was a child. I was 17 and a half. I didn't even start living life yet. I had like one boyfriend who was waiting for me back in Canada. Wow. with a promise ring. And then here I'm coming back to Canada and I remember broke up with, with, and it broke his heart. He was devastated. And, but, and then after in October, I phoned uh, my fiance on his birthday to wish him a happy birthday. But at the time, I, when I answered the phone, he was so reserved. And I thought, this is odd. Like, why would you not be happy to hear from your fiance? You should be saying, I love you. All these, I'm so happy to hear your voice. Thank you. He was like, I remember him, he was smoking a cigarette on the other end. And I'm like, that was another thing. I don't, I usually didn't date smokers, you know. So and for me, I was 17. So, and I realized, mm, my intuition told me there's someone else. Ah, I love that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I was so mad. I took this thick wedding band off my finger and I, threw it across the room somewhere and and I and I was so upset about this whole thing and suddenly all of a sudden I got bombarded with phone calls from him oh please begging me and, and I wouldn't even answer I don't even, I think my mom answered to the most phone calls and I guess one time he asked, I talked to him and of course I felt so bad about because you know his life is over in Romania right and I, at the same time I thought but I don't I don't know if I could, I, obviously I didn't know him well enough to be able to react. So like, that's it, I'm finished with this engagement. My mom packed a wedding dress. So we went back to Romania. What? In a suitcase. But at this time, so we went to a hotel. He came to the hotel. He was crying so much. He was crying, begging. And, and, and I felt so bad. And I ended up, and even my mom says she realized in this moment, are you sure you want to get married? And I go, 
Well, you know, when you have like a six foot six guy begging on his knees and he's crying, I felt so bad. And I, I guess I got married. I don't know. And then I, when I came back to Canada, I went for a walk with my dad and I said to my dad, dad, help me get a divorce. But you um, went to your dad and you, and you said, dad, I can't be married. And then what so, did you uh, do? Yeah, I, my dad helped me get a divorce. Wow. We got a lawyer and he filed for divorce and that was, that was that. And this is, okay, yeah. Aziza, this is interesting because it sounded like you thought, oh, I'm going to hurt his feelings if I said no. I'm going to, his life is ruined if he doesn't go through with this marriage. And it was like you had this obligation and you just did what you were told. I kind of, you got to understand, like, it really comes back to this where my mom, because my mom was, she was a controlling woman. And when you, a, a child who's controlled by another, their mother, you don't, they actually, they instill this not able to make decisions for themselves, the lack of confidence and the not able to, because everything is being sort of decided for you. So my mom was always the one making decisions for me. Like the only thing I, decision I made was like, I went to Alberta College of Art, but you know, even though she had good intentions, she always like comes back to, I was like, well, why was my mom this way? Like even the story of how I got adopted and I didn't click until my sister came to visit me in 2019. I, I came to a realization. I always come with something. I realize something new all the time. So when my sister came to visit me in 2019, I realized she's like five minutes older than me. And even though this is my territory, she should see, she'll take my hand and she'll be the one leading me around. And, and I'm like, wow. And this goes back to the story of how we got adopted. Like, because we're identical. And my mom being born, we were, she was born in the same village as I was. She knew the area really well. And uh, so one day she, when she came to decide which twin to adopt, she took me and my sister by our hands to get some water from the well. So as she was walking, she had an idea. So we got closer to the well, but uh, we always kept our distance from the well, me and my sister. My mom said to both of them, okay, girls, you wait here and I'll get the water. And uh, my so mom went to get the water, which was a little farther down this hill. So she said to herself, the one that stays, that's the one I'm going to adopt. And when she came back, one stayed, one left. And took the one that stayed to the mother because th this is the one I would like to adopt. And that was me. Wow. And I thought at first, I thought, oh, what an interesting story. But then when my sister came in 2019, and I realized she picked the one that would listen to her, that would give her less problems. <laughs> so <laughs> it was easier to control, right? right. So that's how... That's how she made her decision based on that. And you know what? And I, I also came for, to a realization why my mom was so controlling. Hmm. Her coming from a, from a family of five children, and I also learned a lot about my grandmother. My grandmother wasn't a very loving person. I, she wasn't affectionate to her kids. She never probably did feel the love she wanted as a child. And also she hoped for a better life as uh, a child, not to live there and to progress. She always thought progress is to leave and to, for a better life. So when she adopted me, she wanted some, a child could love her unconditionally. And I do, I love my mom unconditionally even now because all she wanted is to be loved. And she did all she did in her life, all the decisions. She wanted me to be close to her. She, even in Calgary, she moved to, to Vancouver to be close to me, you know? So I, I love my mom and respect her. And even though her choices weren't the best choices, but when we have an understanding why she did what she did is because she, all she wanted is to be loved. That's all she wanted and appreciated. And, and I think that's how I threw, uh, adopted me. I showed her that love and make, made her feel needed. And, and that's what, why we had such a strong bond, you know, as a mother and daughter. And 
yes, later I found out about my twin. Of course, I was hurt because I wish I'd known about my, my sister. But at the same time, I'm thinking, yes, she did want me to know probably about my twin because what if she, I would not want to be with her and she would Absolutely. lose me. So when we have a, come from a place of understanding of why people do what they do, it's easy to forgive and to truly love them unconditionally. Yeah, I, I, that's why I really was drawn to your story. And the thing too that strikes me is that there's a period of time where you actually grieve that loss of time with your sister, that forgiveness comes in, in stages. It's not something that we have to do automatically. It's something that we experience. And mm -hmm. I'm curious about is why wasn't your sister adopted along with you? Like, why didn't your mom take both of you? Because like when I, back in um, 1965, my parents lived in one room apartment and I'm literally talking one room apartment. Uh, they had to share a kitchen with other people on the floor because that's how it was back then the, during the communist country. It was really difficult to find places to live. So uh, even at that time, I think my, my mom wanted to, uh, my parents wanted to, they could only take one child. They had, didn't have room for two children. I think if, if they could have, if they had Nick, they probably would have because their choice wasn't to uh, separate twins. But even like uh, our biological parents, they give one us up so the other twin can have a better life too especially living in a village where there's lack of things. And plus you had three other brothers as well that you were uh, yes. reunited with. Yeah. So what yes. was it like putting all the pieces together? Yes, life is interesting. Life is full of surprises. Part <laughs> 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 uh, uh, of me, I felt uh, for many years, I felt guilt after I found out by my twin because I wish that she was adopted to, to have had the same opportunities I did. She's, she's got talent too. She actually demonstrated to me that she has, uh, she can draw. Only the thing is she didn't have the, um, uh, my, the support, like I had the support to, to develop my talent. And you know, she's a very, she's very talented. She, it was so much alike in so many ways too. Like we're both very empathetic and we think alike, you know, but, but in some ways we're different because we grew up on two separate continents too. So how have you been making up for lost time with your sister? Oh, we talk all the time. Like for, <laughs> we talk, like we, when we talk, we talk like hours. And it's so it's interesting because no matter how many times we talk, we always discover something else, but not only that, but we also help each other emotionally. We both uh, lost one of our brothers in um, 2019. After she came to visit me for a whole month, it was amazing. Best experience of our life. She, I took, took her to all the, to, uh, to the restaurants. She experienced cuisine from all over the world. She never had that experience. And I even took her to the gay parade. She loved that. She thought, oh, Vancouver people are, are so full of life and so, so wonderful to be here. She absolutely loved it. But... And after when she back to Romania two months later, when my youngest brother, Vivian, he was killed in the Bucharest while he was uh, riding his bike. So I'm even sorry. to this day, it's been a very difficult time to cope with this because we still don't know, we, because of COVID, has, the investigation of the accident has really post, been postponed. And, and even to this day, we still don't know what happened. And we still, we haven't been able to get closure of our brother's death. He was such a happy, uh, funny guy, you know, like he was always such a great sense of humor. He would make, he would make me laugh. And I, I miss that so much. And for me, I'm so happy we have each other to, to help us get through this challenging times, you know. I'm really curious now about is what are you, what kind of painting you were hiding and now doing? I want you to tell me more about well, like my paintings always we uh, have like figures, sometimes like two two figures, like usually embracing women, two women embracing. And I think that's kind of what I was sort of painting all along because it's something what I sort of was wishing for, that connection. And even even my friends, I don't remember saying this to them, but they will say, oh, don't you remember? You always say, oh, I wish I had a sister. 
And I and I go, really? I used to say that. He goes, yeah, you always said that to us. I think I forgot, but you'll bring, they brought that up with me after I, I told them about the family secret. And I go, yeah, so I, I guess I was always wishing to have that sister. And, and my wish came true. I think what I was painting and drawing all these years, it was, she was always there, but she was just not physically there for me. I was, I was trying to create that through my art and, and the colors and the compositions. It was always about love. And I think what I wished for came true. So now I have her back in my life. I wish, I wish I could be with her more physically because so different be doing a virtual telephone phone call mm-hmm. versus holding her in my arms. And, and you know, I, and what I miss is about seeing her and feeling her beside me. I mean, it's something that it's a bond that it could never be broken, you know, even through art. Twins uh, bond, it can never be broken. It's, uh, it's for life. Yeah. So. I'm glad you have the love that you gave to your mom carrying on through you with your sister. That's the feeling I'm, I'm getting from the story of this reuniting. Um, I didn't ask you how your mom broke the, did your mom break the news to you or did your dad? My, my parents did. Yes. I remember like, well, they came over cause they said, you know, they found that, okay, this is the time when I was married. I was like happy in my life, you know, and, and they came over they thought this was probably the best time to tell me. So they came over and they actually recorded it because my mom put the tape recorder on the floor. And I'm like, I was like, what is that? Why is she doing that? Right. So she started recording it and both my parents were there. I was sitting on the floor and they were sitting on the couch and all of a sudden they just told me, I was like, I was in shock. I thought, and at the same time, I could see how uncomfortable it was for them to tell me this. And I, and I, I tried to make a joke to make them feel because I realized how difficult for them for, for them to tell me this family secret. And, and I said, Oh, I can see why our teeth are not the same because my teeth are straight and theirs wasn't straight, that's straight, right? And they laughed. And after they laughed, it took me like I think a, a month to comprehend what they told me. I was in shock. I felt like I was in like part of the Twilight Zone, you know, that's episode from the 60s. It was just everything seems so not real. Like I, it was just, it was such an odd feeling to, to think that I have an identical twin who thinks like me, looks like me, has the same DNA like me, living in a different country. And, and then to find out she always knew about me and I didn't know about her. I was, I had so many emotions, you know, and this whole idea that having a twin and, and and it was just really bizarre. And at the same time, I was happy. Then I was sad. It was, I was all over the place with the, my emotions, you know, but I love my parents, even though it didn't change how I felt about my parents. I loved them unconditionally. You know, my dad who wasn't blood related to me. He loved me as his, his own child. Like that's why I was shocked because the way they loved me so much. Right. That's why it was shocking for me. I, I can only imagine, but you, I'm so glad you brought up how it highlights when you're raised in an environment, even though loving and, but yet controlling, it suppresses the ability to be motivated intrinsically, uh, to make decisions, to feel the emotions. And then all of a sudden it was fine to tell you, uh, mm-hmm. at 35. They um, thought that that was the best time for me to know because, they want me to be happy and they and you know like for them they didn't want to affect my life you know while I was going to school like college college was it was really challenging I was in a program that was very hard to be it was very uh to to have good grades and to create a good portfolio to get a job they didn't want to affect that in my life right so they thought in the best interest of me to like what was best for me And, you know, that's what parents do. You do it in the best interest of your child. So So, did did you go out and uh, contact your sister right away when they, after they told you? Oh yeah, but yes. But the thing is back then when I found out it was mostly telephones and telephones were so expensive back then. Like they charged by the minute, you know, so it was always very limiting conversations or she'll go and she, 
she will actually go to an internet cafe to be able to hear my voice. And she told me this, broke my heart when she told me that she goes, after she would speak with me, like she was so agitated because she just wants to hear my voice because so, and we sound the same. We sound, our voice has <laughs> like, it's the same. But she, when she would get home after our conversation, she would cry because she was like, she had so much emotion inside her. And I was so heartbreaking for me. Um, she told me like when my mom used to send her clothes and pictures of me, my sister actually would cut her hair like mine. My, my hair, she actually wore the clothes. And she told me every time she wore the clothes, she will look in the mirror and she'll imagine me. And now it was her way to keep the connection with me. So I thought that was so beautiful, but then at the same time, so heartbreaking. I, I feel it. Like yes, the, the no, second so... time it to me, I'm like, got it. <laughs> Got so, it. And when I think yeah. about your pictures, your paintings, and the, I've seen them and the, everybody should see them, uh, thinking about yeah. you and your sister and seeing how intertwined you were together like that. It is powerful, impactful. It, yeah. You can, you can form that bond with people for life. It doesn't necessarily have to be sister, but it's all about is being true to yourself and those around you. And you can have more meaningful deeper connections with people just being who authentic with yourself first and I think my, that's what I love about my sister she's so authentic and I think it makes it easy for me to you know love her even more you know <laughs> so well I just love how you just let her like when she came to Canada you, you were telling me a bit about this before and maybe you could share what it was like having like I know you mentioned that you took her to the pride parade and you got to see how colorful our, our city was well it's a multicultural city right so we all come from different somewhere <laughs> so my yeah my sister absolutely loved the experience of first it's a different from Romania Romania is more has a lot of history so the the, the architecture there is very more classic architecture. Here is more modern, and but you know, like she loved the experience it because she just never experienced it. A lot of the things that I experienced, and uh, I think you know, like for instance, back in the communist times, if you're a gay man, you go to jail, go to prison. Yeah. So when I took her to the gay parade and see how amazing they are, and I, a friend of mine actually took because uh, I want her to experience everything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so even a friend of mine took, took us to a, a gay bar, uh, Davy Street, and I and she saw how beautiful they are and so and how feminine and sexy they are on stage and she absolutely loved it. But the moment was priceless for me when I saw my sister's face when she was like amazed about two saw two men kissing she's because she never saw that before and I thought you know this, this is what see that's what I love about Vancouver because you can walk, see two men walking hand in hand and people don't give them the look it's more accepted here and it's it's more freedom to be who you are than other places when you go out in other places in the world you can't really do that they still are, are afraid to, to be who they are and it's and it and it's it's sad because I think life is more beautiful if we all accept each other for who we are without judgment, without, you know. Yeah, uh, like like know. you you like you like made peace with your mom and, and your dad. Yes, and, yes. And we're accepting when we accept people who for who they are and, mm -hmm. and imagining what it's like in their shoes is another perspective. And I yes. love how you've, you've created this ripple effect in Romania with your sister and the acceptance and because I know that it's profound. Um, are you in your studio or in your home? Yes, actually, I'm in my studio right now. Nice. I'm, uh, I'm going to work on a painting that I started uh, and it's for a show that I, but it's, uh, it, the theme is to paint something more historical. It's for a uh, Federation, uh, Canadian Federation gallery. And, uh, it's, I haven't submitted yet. You have to submit and you have judges that they look at your work. And so I'm working on a piece right now, of course, two girls, two, two twins, yes. but it, but because it's a historical thing, it's called the, uh, it's the Gatsby girl from the Gatsby era. And I, and I love and, I, and, and even through my art, like I uh, noticed that a lot of the, and I never realized till not too long ago, actually, but the reason I paint my, the short hair on the girls is because 
that was the only picture I saw of my sister when we were when she came to visit me when we were five years old. And there's a picture of two of us, and we both have the same haircut. Well, the same haircut, very short. So that stuck with me subconsciously. So this is the reason why I do a lot of the figures with short hair, and I just it's just. It's intuitive. That's what I call it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see it. I would love to experience it. Uh, how would you describe your art? Um, my art is, I try not to think of art like a particular famous artist, because I kind of, what I do is I kind of paint, I would say it's more representational. I would say it's realistic or surrealistic. It's more a portrait. I would say it's more closer to Modigliani. People heard of Modigliani, but I try not to think like him, but it comes naturally. Like I try, I, I even intuitively and, and I, and I never realized either because yes, I started painting women uh, at a early age, like female form, but also my mom was also my inspiration. That's why I think I draw the women with more, more sort of aesthetically more like beautiful. And cause my mom was, my my model for so yeah. many years she was she was so beautifully always beautifully dressed and she looks to me was like my barbie doll and so she was my inspiration too in my art and i was and, I, and that's why i think drawing the neckline more long it was elegant because that's what my mom was elegant and feminine and and uh no, it shows in your art. I can see it. So if somebody wanted to find you and discover you, um, where would you point them to go to see your uh, art? My, I have a website. It's www.asiza.ca. So A-S-I-Z-A dot C-A. Simple. And I'm also <laughs> on Instagram, Asiza Art, A-S-I-Z-A-R-T. So I'm on there too. I really appreciate thank it. You. Well, thank you so much, Laura. I appreciate oh. you for the for hearing me, my uh, hearing my story. It really means a lot. That's why I do this so people know about my sister yeah. and to also about learning about forgiveness because that's we all wanna we all wanna live through life happy. And when we can live through life, if you if you feel angry, so you have to come from a place of strength and to forgive. And we all live better. Happier. We do. The thing I learned this week from an amazing coach, secondhand, this lady sent this message and she said, you know, do you want to be right? Do or do you want to be happy? Or do you want to be free? Mm -hmm. and Great. Wow. I thought, holy on, because for people who like you and I were both controlled in our young younger years. I realize I don't have to acquiesce. I can just be free. That's right. Free is, that's the right word. That is the right word to be happy. Yeah. So I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Very nice. Thank you so much for being here. I really Thank you so much, for, Laura. I really appreciate this. And I, I wish you a beautiful day. Oh, thank you. You too. <laughs> <laughs> it's already a beautiful day. <laughs> Take care, Susan. Okay, bye. bye. Enjoy the day. Bye. I will.